Hey everybody, welcome to Pit Stops to Podium, the Rev Partners podcast, where we talk to executives who have competed in one, accelerating their companies from high growth to high scale. My name is Brendan Tolleson, the co-founder and CEO of Rev Partners, and I have with me today, Wendy Sturgis for episode four of Pit Stops to Podium. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. I love the name. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I was, it's funny when I think about the introduction, I was thinking about you, Wendy, it's since in the spirit of baseball, I thought I'll use a baseball analogy. And what I'll say is this, you know, if Wendy was a baseball player, you had her card, if you flipped it over, she would be a first bout hall of famer. Uh, Wendy that. is currently yeah. the, uh, the CRO of light, uh, disrupting the live event space. Prior to that, she had experience at Yext and multiple uh, executive roles, both as an SVP of sales and service, as well as the CEO in Europe. Uh, and then had some, you know, great runs at other companies like Yahoo. Uh, in short, uh, she has a passion for disrupting, disruptive technology for scaling companies. Uh, so Wendy, we are thrilled to have you today. Thank you. And I just love your company because you're also fast talking Southerners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not I, moron. <laughs> yeah. I, I get told pretty consistently to slow down. Yeah, um, I do too. <laughs> well, Wendy, before we get into our big idea, I thought it'd be helpful for our audience just to get to know you a little bit. So uh, what, what are a few fun facts that uh, people should know about you outside of your uh, prolific career? Yeah. Well, it, it relates to the South. I have a incredibly painful obsession with all things Georgia Tech sports, which is actually okay right now, but it can be very painful <laughs> in the South, you know, when we're competing with Georgia and other schools. But I, um, I love, love, love college sports. I love the pageantry. My husband was a collegiate athlete. And uh, so I have a, a unrequited love for Georgia Tech sports, which can be painful, but better this year than some. Um, I love all wow. things mountains, all things mountains. And so I have finally fulfilled my dream of living in the mountains. So I love to do everything in the winter and I love to do everything on the summer. The mountains are my happy place. I ski and snowboard, which is a little bit unusual. Most people kind of pick one or the other. Um, I had an epic fall the other day snowboarding and a bunch of dudes oh. on the chairlift were like, oh man, that must have hurt. My head flew back. I was like, I'm getting too old for this shit. Uh, and then my last, which I think is a, you know, a lesson for people is you think you know, when you have the option, um, I've always loved live music. I hope no one judges. I had a fake ID when I was 15 and I started sneaking to see, you know, incredible bands when I was 15 years old. It's one of the reasons that I loved going to Georgia Tech because there's an incredible music scene in Atlanta. And, you know, some weeks I'd probably see four, five bands. So I think it's so incredible to take that passion that I've had since I was very young and actually be able to work in the industry, but bring the technology and the innovation, which this industry needs really badly. So that's me. That's great. <laughs> Appreciate that. Who, who's your favorite artist? Or genre? Um, Maybe we'll go genre. Artists no, still probably yeah. not a fair one. It's been very good for me because obviously my team is much younger, so I am getting introduced to all. We have a very we play music a lot and all hands and shit. But uh, I would say Radiohead. I think they're just like the most. I've seen them live. I've seen them at Coachella. I saw them live a couple of other times. They're just an amazing, um, amazing band. Yeah, Nirvana is a close second. I'm dating. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> One thing you and I have never discussed uh, for good reason is I'm actually a big uh, University of Georgia fan. So we'll, we'll keep that one quiet for now. But uh, I, I also feel your pain as an Atlanta sports oh, fan. Oh, I'm sure you do, my friend. 
<laughs> All right, well, let's transition. So, uh, Wendy, I appreciate the give us a little background to you. Uh, the big idea today, and I'd love to get your perspective on it. Uh, I know it's something you're passionate about, given your experience both in sales and services. The thing about that, this whole concept of customer insights and how you actually articulate the value you're creating for the customer. Uh, yeah. So before we get into some of the actual insights, I'd love to get your perspective on when you think about what customer insights is, can you define that for our audience? Yeah, and I, I, think, I think it starts with, you said the operative word, the customer, because I think too many times the company has their insights and they don't look at it through the lens of the customer. Like these are things that the customer, you know, because you know the industry that they value, that they look at in a certain way, you have to attach to how they're looking at things. Yex was kind of a category creation, Brendan, and trying to make, we tried to make up metrics and shit, doesn't work. <laughs> if the industry doesn't look at it that way, like, uh-uh. And, and I think Howard, my CEO, and I finally were like, no, we've got to go back to very basic metrics. So you've got to tell the story. You've got to understand how their budgets are allocated as best you can and have those stories in their language from your platform and your technology with your own spin that saw that story. And that can go all the way through to pre-sales. I mean, from pre-sales all the way through to post-sales. Um, and it's just incredibly important. And I think those are a couple of key points. It has to be metrics that the customers care about. And it does, you do, we didn't talk about this before. You have to understand a little bit about how budget is released. Because if you're coming up with these great insights, but it doesn't tie to how you're going to get more money or a renewal or an upsell, you're going to have a lot of friction. So you've got to be very in tune with your market that and how they think. Yeah, I love that. It's, you know, I think the the proverbial saying or whatever you want to describe it is like, is the sales an art or a science? And I think what you're saying is the data is really important, but the data informs the art that comes around it to actually drive that whole narrative and ultimately the value that you're creating for those customers. Yeah, but I do think there's a lot of science here. There's definitely an art, but I think getting that consistency and we'll talk about some recommendations. It is an area I'm super passionate about, but um, you need to get that foundation to be very science-like. Because the other thing, the art part, Brendan, I've seen lots of interpretations <laughs> and those can come back. I will say not any, I, I had to go um, probably go see a client four times in a four month period. It was at the time at Yext, one of our most important clients we'd closed and we completely oversold them. And it would have been disastrous for us. And we were able to pull it back, but that was the art part. We're a seller through no fault of their own because we didn't have the tools and the processes, made a crazy ROI commitment, crazy. <laughs> and when we found out, we were like, and, and you also, again, how budgets are allocated. It was a franchise business. Well, why does that matter? Um, they have certain hurdles they have to clear to get funding from their franchisees. So if we didn't clear that hurdle, that deal is over. <laughs> so again, that's understanding your business and it was an insane number. And so we were able to get there. We were able to do improvements to get the ROI up, but um, that's where the art gets a little scary because if someone's out doing their own thing, not, not ill-spirited, Ill I think some sellers might you know, stretch the truth. They just made a mistake, but uh, it was a real problem. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And in light of that, the importance of it and the value of it for ultimately for the business. Where, where does that typically reside within an organization? Yeah, well, I think, it's, I think this is one of the things that uh, is not obvious. Um, I've worked in two organizations where at least some of it sits in a data science team, which sits in engineering. That's my current structure um, when I was at Yahoo and we had an amazing data science team at Yahoo. Uh, that wasn't the case with some of our teams, but they were 
unbelievable and the value they brought to my go-to-market teams. And that's where I really appreciated it. Um, at Yext, it made more sense for me to build that function. And I built an insights team. Um, and it can also sit in product. So the other thing, so ultimately when I went to Europe to become the CEO, my amazing CPO, Mark Fiorentino said, you know what, this makes sense to fit into product because we were building a lot of those capabilities into the dashboards. So I think it can sit in engineering, I think it could sit in product, and I think it could sit in revenue. And then that comes to a really key point, how are you gonna do governance? Because you really need all three orgs. Like I could come up with amazing insights, but if I'm not aligned with my product team, to have it be aligned with what's built into the customer facing dashboards that I'm going to get out of whack. So you've got to also think about how you get everybody aligned wherever it ultimately lives uh, at home. Yeah. I love the idea. I mean, you're talking about uh, the coordination and really centralization. So you have the full view of the customer experience also, and that ultimately leads into the value, but it reduces that friction that you described between departments. Uh, and in light of that, I mean, we talked about where, you know, what it is, why it's important, where it sits in the organization. Um, why do you feel like companies don't always invest in this type of discipline? Yeah, I, I mean, you and I were talking about it. I think, um, I think a lot of times it does live in data science, which isn't as commercially oriented. So it's no fault of theirs. It's just that they're focusing on data to drive the technology or algorithms. So I think there's a lack of commercial. I think this is a newer play. And look, a lot of, a lot of leaders and executives, um, I, I will tell you, I talked to a lot of people about it and they're like, that's cool as shit. We, we didn't do that. So I think a lot of people just haven't thought about it. Again, I think I got lucky. I worked at, in Yahoo. This was my media data science team, by the way. So this is so bringing that media. It's really, you have user research and so I think it's kind of interesting because I had that. I was in a B2B part of a B2C company and I kind of brought that into this industry. So I don't think it's as prevalent in, in the B2B industry, but it's very prevalent in media, huge. So I think I was able to kind of leap it over. Um, and then, you know, we talked about this as well. I think data is important as it is. A lot of people just aren't as comfortable with it. And so, you know, you do the shit, let's do account planning and get my CRM right and do some demand gen. And it's not quite, I think, I don't see a lot of people talking about it. So there's just a comfort level and maybe a little, you know, not, not, as, not as knowledgeable. That makes sense. And we, we talked a little bit about this too, in terms of when do you invest in it? Is it is there ever a time when it's too early? And we're and when you think about our audience, this is really for companies that are fast growing, looking to go from high growth to high scale. So what's your you know your advice to our audience as, as to when it makes sense to to invest in customer insights? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we were laughing, but I think you better have a plan from your first client on. Because <laughs> I think if you, and again, that could be a CSM, you hire somebody who's great in data, could be an operations person, could be an engineer, but you, you got to have a strategy from the very beginning. What's more important, Brendan, than having the story nailed on the value that you deliver to a customer? And by the way, what we didn't even get into is it varies by vertical. If you're, if you're trying to expand one vertical into another, is it a great example on scaling? The metrics may be very different. I saw it. My financial services and my healthcare and my retail and my, I mean, there were variations and we had those. So I, I would argue you better have a plan to have somebody spend some portion of their time to think about it from after you sign the first client, because this is the core of how you're going to do your customer acquisition and your renewals. You're, you know, you're going to have a shitty growth, gross retention. If you haven't thought through a year from when the deal sold, what are you telling them the value that you drove? But I would, in all seriousness, the, I really believe that um, companies at series A, if you've got that funding, should be looking at a dedicated head because 
I've already said all the other points, but the more that you collect that and they start to build tools that you can carry into your pre-sales. And once we built ROI calculators, um, we could do custom ROI for business cases. I mean, everyone on this call has probably has to go through a set of approvals of their client to get a deal done. If you can sit down with your client, show them the tool or methodology or based on experience, you work on it together and they take that to their funding entity, whatever level it is. I cannot tell you how much more quickly and easily that happens because you did it together. So again, another engineer, another seller, I would argue investing in this, if you only have 10 sellers and CSMs, you're, you're, you're exponentially increasing the effectiveness of this by 20%. So I would say hire this earlier rather than that extra seller, because you might not think about it, but you're going to get, you know, a higher productivity. And you know this too. What's, what's one of the favorite topics in sales? How do I get to faster AE productivity? Right. I mean, it's one of the topics that everyone is trying to do. What better way than for them to have tools to sell the value and the stories to go get faster approved business cases, you know? Well, I think when you did a very, um, effective pitch on the value of it and that people should embrace it. Uh, So let's get into application. Uh, Let's think about, you know, kind of three steps that these, you know, our audience and and these companies can take in saying, hey, now I'm convinced of the value. Where do I start? Yeah. Well, I think you do have to assess where you are. There are probably pockets because there's some more ad hoc things that are happening. So you've got to say, where are we? How are this? How is the sales organization? What tools do they have to, to tell the story? Are they just using a case study with a few metrics, you know, on a slide, which is what I'm used to seeing? Um, what are we, you know, it's like, here it is, here's my ROI. And it's like a slide, maybe in the relevant industry. Um, and then through to your CSMs, what is it? What do those QBRs look like? How are they generating the data? So I think you just got to assess where you are, because again, as we talked about, most people are probably not as far along as they would like to be. So I think you've got to kind of assess where you are. Can so you once you've assessed and you understand there's a gap of current state, desired future state, mm-hmm. you know, I'm assuming process might be the next. And just in terms of how you think through system design, ultimately technology to, to help support that. But what were your thoughts, tips, tricks on, on that side? Yeah, well, I think you do start with the customers and work your way back to sales because you're going to build the data pool that allows you. So um, assuming that you've made the decision to dedicate some portion or a full resource to it, um, we just spent a ton of time on the customer data and really starting to distill what are the three, um, we, we came up with three, three is always beautiful. These are the three ways we drive value and how are we tracking that for each customer? And then ultimately, how do we start to drive that consistency into our QBRs? So how do we enable our CSMs with tools? Um, in the beginning, it can be quite you know rudimentary um, or you just got to go talk to the insights person. But ultimately, um, where we got to, as I mentioned to you, was so badass, was a macro that a CSM had to hit a button on and the entire QBR was populated. Now, we always said, you got to check the data. You got to make sure the story is good because sometimes the data would get, <laughs> they want to put that in front of a client. You know, we want everything going up and to the right and just going down to the left. You're like, wow. yeah. so we, you know, there was ultimate ownership still with the CSM. They didn't have to spend any of their time. Think about the productivity we calculated that we gave about 15% of the time back to our CSMs, back to the ROI. And 15% of your CSMs start to upsell, drive adoption. You know, we'll take that all day. So um, then looking at your customer segments, how do you want to think about how you, um, once you get a little bit of an idea on what your story is, 
Do you want to do an automated report to your mid-market and small business if you have that? They can't do QBRs. They don't have the time. So we created the variation of the big Mac Daddy, you know, enterprise QBR that was an automated report. We did user testing. We had clients give us feedback because we wanted to put in front of them once a month the value we were delivering. We were seeing a little bit too high a churn in mid-market. And then we realized we were never putting the value story in front of them because the CSMs didn't have the time, unless it was like a fire drill renewal. So we're like, why don't we start showing them month over month exactly what we're doing? So I'd start there, look at your basics, your process, figure out what those are. How do you, how do you want to, what do you want to do custom? What do the CSMs need to do? What can you automate? And then as you build this, and we built, um, you asked about technology, we went ahead and just got a very inexpensive Alteryx license. It is super easy because you do want to start building that data repository. You don't want to have it sitting in Excel spreadsheets. So we had it, um, we got an Alteryx that was not expensive for the value it drove. And then you're starting that data collection because by the way, Matt, every time the CSN's hitting macro and running it, we're populating the data in the database. So we're starting to be able to work on that. And then the last step would be pulling it. When are we ready? When do we think that this is proven enough that we can start to build an ROI or value engineering tool for the sales work. And that I would say is down the road. Once you've done the work on the customer side, you want to actually have legit data. <laughs> so you want to spend some time with it and then you can pull it um, back into sales. And that's where the magic really starts to happen. Yeah, I love your emphasis on data uh, that maybe come back to your Georgia Tech days and, and your experience oh, in terms cool. of, <laughs> uh, of the art of the science. I think the, you know, the, the, to me, uh, somebody told me this once, I think it actually may have been John Barrows, but he talks about from a sales perspective, you know, you're providing context to the content. That's the job of sales. And so if you have the data as the foundation, when you talk about the storytelling, that's what sales needs to be able to do is say, what are the takeaways, the key points? And that speaks to the customer insights and the value. But if you don't have the data, it's really hard to actually articulate what value you're actually creating. And I don't, I don't know about most of your audience, but we were in a ferociously competitive marketing. If you go to this thing called Lumascapes, I mean, I was competing for dollars with probably 5,000 companies. I'm not exaggerating. Wow. And, oh, just Google, Amazon, and Facebook, too. So you've got, you got the triopoly, and then you've got this huge ecosystem. Some people may be able to get away with it a little better than, than I could, but I needed to tell a crisp, super tight story. You, I might, you might have to take a dollar from Google. It's really hard to do, Brendan, because you put money in Google, you don't get fired for putting more money in Google. Right. Yep. So you have to have this incredible story. Other people, it may be a little bit easier. You're, you're creating But one of the three pillars, though, was efficiency. So we did. I just want to call this out because you might not think about that as a part of the data story. But we were able to capture and it's, you have to understand our product. They were making data updates that got manifested in a huge ecosystem. So we associated an ad, like a, a human value to that. So you can use a data story to tell an efficiency play which probably many of the people that, you know, might be listening, you know, it's more efficiency than like, for me, I was a hardcore marketing ROI. I had to deliver a marketing right. ROI. They're not going to pull money from Google or whatever to give it to me, but we did have an efficiency play as well. So we said, these are the hours we're saving your humans at your company. And it was powerful too. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's also what we sell with what we do. Not to put I a know. plug in door. <laughs> um, well, hey, I, Wendy, it's been great to, uh, to chat with you. Really appreciate the time. Uh, if people want to follow you, follow Light, what, how can they engage with you? Yeah, well, they can email me at wendy at light.com. It's Wendy with an I, not a Y. And, uh, and we are um, Light, L-Y-T-E, 
on Insta and Facebook. And as you know, we are working on upping our uh, marketing game because we have a great story and we have actually really cool artists and influencers associated that we're magnifying. So we, there'll be more to come. So don't judge if you follow us right now, we have work to do. <laughs> or, or if you go, you know, you can also find Wendy at the next Radiohead concert. So that's also uh, an yeah, option. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. It was fun to talk about a topic. Clearly I'm very passionate about. <laughs> Thanks Wendy. Appreciate it.